Hi, Michelle here, and I am thrilled that a group of good guys is sponsoring this episode of, well, Good Guys. The Franklin Partnership is a bipartisan government relations firm providing comprehensive legislative affairs and services at the national, state, and local levels. The Franklin Partnership is your key to Washington. Welcome to episode two of the Cocktail Conversations. I'm Michelle Mitchell, and when I decided to take on the value gap this season, a lot of guys reacted by saying, there's a value gap? So this got me thinking that if we really wanted to dig in to figure out how half of the U.S. is not valued properly, we need to involve the other half. Who is that weird dude that you were dating with the really bad long hair? He's a real dick. Well, clearly I involved Anand Ramaswamy in my love life at one point, so why not this too? You always have that here. <laughs> Anand is a marketing specialist and digital designer in Houston, but he used to live across the hall from me in Brooklyn back when we were young, unmarried, could drink five martinis without paying the price the next day. Well, we could, but the special forces guy, he couldn't take it. The second most hungover I've been in my life was at a party at Michelle Mitchell's house with Anna. Oh, my head still hurts. I was crushing on Jason Hard. I was in his room, you know. <laughs> the girls that came over were hitting on you, and I was just like, everything's wrong. <laughs> Anand and Lieutenant Colonel Jason Amarine, who's zooming in from Virginia, have remained friends since that party about 14 years ago. Jason's retired now, but it's a small world, folks. Apparently, he crossed paths with our guest speaker, David Smith, in 2001 in Afghanistan. I had the P3 squadron that was providing all your overhead support. Yeah, the P3s were amazing. Paul, I wore something special for you. Oh, <laughs> oh come on. It's not what you're thinking. We've already gone to this place so soon in this call. I love that. Paul Greco is the legendary owner of Terroir Wine Bar in New York City. Actually, I have a plaque there. You can sit at my table. And for the show, I wore one of the bar's famous t-shirts of Paul looking completely deranged. I can't really wear this like to sleep in because it freaks my husband out to have your face. <laughs> Having known Michelle for a while, this is exactly how I would have expected this to start. <laughs> Connor Kiesel actually used to be my intern. He's now a sports reporter in Ohio. Maybe it's because I'm in journalism in 2020, but the wine is good and it is going down easy. Just in case you guys didn't know this, Jason Amarine has his own action figure. Can we see it? How did I not have one? <laughs> and still in the original package, so the value has gone up, right? <laughs> yeah, I think, you, I think you can buy it on eBay for about 20 bucks. I mean, on on, you gotta go on eBay now and get I'm it. I'm gonna do it right now, actually. <laughs> Does David have an action figure? No, I don't. <laughs> so the question I got asked by the guys, there's a value gap, actually surprised me. How could you not know this? So I bribed them with wine from Georgia, the country, not the state, and I asked David Smith, who teaches gender studies at the Naval War College, to help them out. Men in America are good guys who are on the sidelines because they don't really know what to do. They're like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm all about gender equity, you know, especially you start talking about my family and my wife and my daughter, or my mom or whatever. And yeah, I'm all in. But then I get to the workplace and I'm sitting on the sidelines because I'm like, what's my role? Who am I to say anything or to do anything? And, and oh my God, then, you know, me too, 
now there was a fear factor guys had about, oh my God, you know, now if I say or do anything, I'm going to say or do the wrong thing. And now I'm going to be in front of HR. And these are the conversations that guys are having. And this is where we have to come back and take ownership of the conversation and go, hey, let's be real here for just a minute and talk about what this is really all about. You might have noticed that I'm calling this episode the good guys. That word guy in its 400-year history has been used in a gender-neutral way. But most people, when they hear guy, they think, man, how do I know this? I took the Harvard Implicit Bias Test for Gender Career, which asks you to associate words with family, career, male, female. The results then show where your unconscious bias falls. Super feminist me was moderately male career female family, which is not great. So I asked the guys in this episode to take it as well. What were the results? Anand? Lightly leaning toward male career. Connor? Yeah, I actually ended up being moderate to male career female family. I thought maybe I'd be more towards slight end of that. Paul, how did you do? I initially had trouble because it asked me to use two fingers and I generally only type with one. <laughs> So I was super slow <laughs> off the take. Finally settled on male, career, female, home, family stuff. And Jason? It was uh, no bias. David, did any of these test results surprise you? Yeah, I've taken it many times, and, and I, I usually score somewhere in the slight to moderate range for men in career as well. My students are like, oh my God, you're like the, the ultimate feminist. I'm like, well, see, this is why I'm telling you. It's about implicit, right? The implicit, not the explicit part. Just by reading about or having a conversation around counter-stereotypical examples of men and women, you can shift this, but it's only really temporary. It lasts for about, you know, 24 to 48 hours kind of a thing. And after that, it, it'll go away. And so if you don't do it over a recurring basis, it doesn't change. And so really the only way to, that we know that you can actually change the implicit association test results from a long-term perspective um, is really by changing the culture, the environment that you're in on a permanent basis. Is that how you would define the value gap? I look at the value gap in terms of how we value work. And I look at it very dichotomously between paid work and unpaid work. And so the paid work that we do when we go to work and how we value that and who should be doing that as opposed to the unpaid work, and that's household responsibilities, childcare, and other caregiving out there. In our country, in our society, we put much more value on paid work. The guys see themselves as the ones that should be doing the paid work. And then the litmus test to see the gap and the people will often say that it doesn't really exist, but the equity gap is exactly that, that when women do men's paid work, it is seen as less valuable. David, do you think any of these attitudes have changed and it might be too early to tell over the last three months? Guys certainly have a front row seat right now to what's going on in their homes. The question is, you know, what will we do with that? Connor? I'm a single male who lives by myself mm -hmm. and like, well, work from home is great. But then I like have to remind myself, my female coworker has a child. You're on a Zoom call and you see like someone's toddler come in. That's probably a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Lisa's pregnant with our first kid. She's a law partner. The child care plan is actually going to lean a lot more heavily on me. I'm not even batting an eye at it. <laughs> of course he's not batting an eye. Jason's the guy who got the perfect score on the implicit bias test. And then there's Paul. Well, I might be the poster child for not doing the right thing. Both my wife and I, I'm still in the restaurant business. She was in the restaurant business. She was working at a restaurant in New York City when she gave birth to our, our first and our second child. And she was the primary breadwinner. She still got the kids to school. She got the kids home. She made them dinner. She took care of all of that shit. So 
David, I we suck at this stuff. She now, after 18 years, left the restaurant business. She's working from home. The last three months, our restaurant's been closed. I've been home. And even now, I expect her to do more than I do, even though I've got nothing to fucking do. So should I get off this call now? You know, I, I think back on myself, how guilty I've been over the years about this. It takes a lot of training on my part to, to think about those things. Now here's something interesting, and I spent enough time in Paul's wine bar to know this firsthand. He has a lot more women working for him than men. I prefer to work with women. And I have found over doing this for 30 odd years that women on the floor as servers, as managers, approach every situation with a greater sense of psychic balance than most men do. What I found with the men, they were the complainers. They were the ones who needed all of my effort to lift them up for service. The women came in armed for fucking battle. I think the reason they are armed for battle is because they are armed for battle every single day, right? And here's where I put my glass down and leaned in because Anand is about to take us from the value of work and the value of women's work to the value of women. I work primarily with women. I've done a lot of work with domestic violence nonprofits. And, you know, women have to, like, let someone know where they're going on their date, anything they know about the guy in case they get kidnapped or killed. One or two of their friends knows what to tell the police. I, didn't, I could not believe this is, like, a normal thing. Mm -hmm. I'm gay, so I don't even date women. So I'm really kind of coming at this from a more objective standpoint. But it's a totally scary world. And there are all of these things that we would never... We're the good guys, right? We're not the people who would do that. But... Women have to think about that every single time they're out in public. I heard this term the other day, it was new to me. We were talking about how guys, how we network at work, right? Mm -hmm. and, and how often women get excluded from those networks. We're like, well, how do you know who the good guys are? Who are the allies in mm -hmm. your workspace? They go, oh, that's easy. We just go to the whisper network. I was like, ooh, what's the whisper network? And that's where they're talking to each other. All right, so who's a good guy? Who can we trust? I'm looking at the panel right now. I mean, black <laughs> men, you. Asian men, um, gay men, bisexual men, they're not part of this majority. So the question is, what motivates you to change a world that completely is built to be best and easiest for you? And everyone else has to adapt to what works for you. You're the only ones that can make that change, right? You need the people who are the oppressors to step in. It's like, why do men get involved with domestic violence? Well, they're the cause. Why not be part of the solution? It's the exact same idea. If we talk about just white straight males for just a minute, we look at it and they go, oh, well, the minute I see gender, a lot of us just look at that and go, well, that's not my issue. Connor, I see you contemplatively drinking there, so... The question I have is what can we do as individuals to work to be part of that solution? What tangibly can we do and not just, you know, say words and, you know, I'm a good guy, female friends, like that clearly isn't enough. I worked in an office where they hadn't ever had a woman working and I had the ability to hire and I had to be smart about it because, the, you know, tokenism for me, it was find the right person, break the boys club. There was surprise the, the first time a, a female officer showed up. We moved forward and it wasn't even an issue. But isn't part of the reason that it worked was because you brought her in, you followed through, you evaluated the situation, you made sure that things did not escalate or go in the wrong direction. Too many people feel like they're doing something like, oh, we hired a black woman, and then they just leave her. Yeah. They don't pay attention, they don't see what she's going through. So that's the key though. David, 
bringing it back around to this idea of equity. You know, the idea is if you're asking for equity in something, there's got to be a loser. But that's not necessarily true when we're talking about gender equity, right? Because in theory, it helps everybody. Well, actually, interesting research it was just out, out of Australia. And for the first time, we have causality now to look at how when you have women who are CEOs or higher percentage of women in key leadership positions in the organization, they're more profitable. The study was released this past June, and it was a world first because it tracked real case studies and leadership appointments over six years to establish direct proof that companies do better with women in those leadership positions. However, a study doesn't always translate into practice. And this zero-sum belief, right? Hey, the pie is only this big, and that's it. So when she comes in, somebody's got to leave, and it might be me. David, I would ask, (laughs) in a workplace, regardless of the pie being a singular size or ever expanding or shrinking, a male is truly more threatened by the hiring of a female rather than another male? In many cases, yes. Uh, especially if it's perceived to be, again, this gets back to kind of the, the tokenistic or quota perspective, right? That if women are coming in as quotas, and that means the men are going to be replaced. So that's where the threat is perceived in that way. Gotcha. Connor, you're in sports. I was one of two women at the Chicago Tribune sports page way back in the early 90s, and I was the youngest by far, which led to lots of pranks. Thanks, guys. <laughs> How does this play in with your field? When you watched The Last Dance recently, there were no female sports reporters in any of that footage. Mm-hmm. You know, there was like Hannah Storm and that was it. I hope that it's moving in a better direction because I do think there's more visibility. And I think things like the U.S. women's national team in soccer, the women being better than the men, you know, but need not being paid equally. That's a prime example of a very major issue. The two most watched soccer games in the history of the United States of America women's national team finals by far outdistance any male game ever broadcast in this country wow all right (laughs) should refill this idea that we're so affected by all these unseen aspects of our culture what do we do about it you're not expected to have the answer for that david if you if you did i mean you'd be a MacArthur genius award winner we have to change the language and It's not a gender issue, it's a leadership issue because it affects your organization and the success of your organization and the people in your organization and your clients. And so that makes it a leadership issue because um, if I'm not doing everything I'm supposed to be doing for my stakeholders, then you're not ethically doing what you're supposed to be doing. So now it's become a moral issue. What I am scared by, but also enjoying is that our friends and colleagues are saying, we're not going to do the fucking work for you. You, you need to start doing the work. And it's, as far as I can tell, the first time I've been told to actually do the fucking work in any area like this, which is awesome. Jason's um, action figure is going for 50 bucks. You checked? You checked during this? I checked, yeah, yeah. I'm not getting it now, but you know. (laughs) Well, apparently it's still available on eBay. Meanwhile, if you'd like to take the gender career implicit bias test and compare your results to ours, go to implicit.harvard.edu and share those results with us on Instagram Live this week. Meanwhile, yes, we realize we're talking about a systemic value situation while we're in the middle of a pandemic. What's it all mean? I don't know. Which is why I brought in Murderer's Row. 
yes, tune in next week when they will be joining me on the Cocktail Conversations. You can find out more about the wine we drank today on Instagram at the Cocktail Conversations and on our website, thecocktailconversations.com. You can also find out more about our guests and who made this episode on our website. Want more conversation? Of course you do. Join the club, the Old Pal Club. That's where your tax-deductible contribution gets you private access to special interviews, extras, events, and more. You can become an Old Pal via our website and Instagram. And once again, thanks to our sponsor for this episode, the Franklin Partnership. The Franklin Partnership provides a comprehensive legislative affairs and services at the national, state, and local levels. The Franklin Partnership is your key to Washington.